1: Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. (laughs) Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we try to, how do we say this, deconstruct Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's most incredible investing strategies that have produced, they've actually produced more millionaires and billionaires than anything I know of, other than starting your own business.
0: Wow, that, that sounds like that this kind of statistic that's difficult to disprove.
1: I think that... <laughs> 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 just go with me one of these times. Just, <laughs> just go right with me. But no. No. Okay, I mean, I merger. think it's great.
0: But more millionaires and billionaires than you know of anything else doing. It's perfect.
1: Yes. And I I have backing me up on that. I have backing me up on that. That's not just me, just some guy. This is backed up by Lee Lu, who is one of the most respected investors in the world and has compounded money in the high 20s now for about almost 25 years. And uh, is the only person that Charlie Munger has ever put money with besides he and Buffett managing it. Um, Phenomenal investor. And he said exactly the same thing. That this strategy of investing has produced more success than any other strategy in history. And almost like there's no second place.
0: I mean, it's got to be right. It's almost like calling it a strategy is a bit silly because it's just when you get down to it, finding good stuff and you're putting your money to support the good stuff so that it can grow bigger. Yeah. And people get all fancy about that. But yeah. Yeah it's good
1: exactly now I do so, have to say I will I will soften the blow to all the other strategies of investing out there uh, by saying that Renaissance and that whole crew of true. literal rocket scientists destroy <laughs> the rate of return <laughs> produced by value investors it's just destroy it I mean these guys have ballpark 75% compounded now going on a couple of decades And they're using their own money. I mean, they've even given back all the investor money. They say, here, take your money back. And people are like, please, no, please keep it. Yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah. And Um, so. I mean, they do that
0: with algorithms.
1: They do it with algorithms. And we
0: are going to learn more about that today.
1: Uh Oh, what?
0: It's finally here, guys. We've succeeded. We have an expert on the show. Um, so, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. You're, but you're talking about me. Led... You're,
1: you're, you're talking about me, of course.
0: I'm always talking about you. We have an expert on the show every week, except for the weeks we don't make it. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> but perhaps we're not talking about me today?
0: Perhaps we're not talking about you. We have a second expert, maybe. And who this person is. Now, you guys know that I have been listening no, wait, to smart When you say saying
1: maybe, do you mean maybe he's an expert or she is an expert or maybe we have them on and we're not sure?
0: I was saying maybe we have them on and we're not sure because okay, okay. we have been going through it with our uh, technical and audio situations today. Oh, but you guys will find out <laughs> in a minute why that is. Uh, so should I introduce I think our mystery so. guest? I-
1: I think so. I'm certainly, I'm certainly like excited to find out who's here.
0: Oh, good. I think that you're about to hear some stuff you may not know. Um, So again, in the style of Smartless, where they have mystery guests that come on, I thought I'd introduce this person with a little bit of mystery guest info. So this person is Portuguese and speaks four languages fluently. This person cuts his own hair. This person was wait, a top... Wait, wait are, you interu- are you interrupting my introduction? Well, I'm
1: just astonished that we tied in <laughs> those two things in one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> okay, go on. Would you repeat that? What you just said? I thought this I must have missed something. This
0: person cuts hmm. his own hair.
1: Yes, and speaks four languages.
0: And speaks four languages. He's skilled. This person was a top junior tennis player in his teen years And then he switched to racing rally cars through the beautiful dirt roads of Portugal. And that rally drifting experience in the dirt then prepared him to race on tarmac now and learn to drift a car on tarmac. He earned the title of Driftmeister. (laughs) Yes, we have the Driftmeister on the show today. This person loves long-distance cycling, and for his 50th birthday, climbed Mont Ventoux in the south of France in the snow twice in a row. He went down and went back up again. Uh, personally, when I could barely walk right after COVID and was going to a million doctor appointments, this person adjusted his schedule to make sure that he came to pick me up from the hospital after every single one of my appointments so that I could get home. He was on time or early every single time so that I didn't have to wait outside and get even more tired. That's just one of a thousand ways he has taken care of me. This person gets obsessed with eating one type of fruit at a time only. And he eats huge amounts of this fruit every single day. I think we're supporting the fruit industry. And right now it's oranges. And we are out of them currently in the house. And it's fraught. They are being delivered tomorrow. He's eating like seven or eight oranges a day. Before the oranges, it was pears. I was glad to move on to oranges. This person has an academic background in economics but several years ago he got annoyed that he couldn't run his own algorithms and he decided to just teach himself how to write his own machine learning code for fun from textbooks he's a giant nerd and he fits right in here at invested as a giant nerd with us this person is a partner at a global management consulting firm where he is the global head for strategy and artificial intelligence and where he uses artificial intelligence as a methodological tool in the context of his strategy projects to create insights that wouldn't otherwise be available. Hopefully, today, he'll give us some pointers on the technical side of artificial intelligence and machine learning, including helping us understand what those are and what innovations are coming along and how we can use them in our investing practices. This person, as I'm sure you all have guessed, has also voluntarily joined our crazy family dad and he <laughs> loves them madly which makes me happy because I wouldn't have married him if he didn't it's <laughs> my husband um, um marido, that's my oh. terrible portuguese nuno Neves cordeiro uh, nuno uh,
1: nuno <laughs> uh, Hello. I had a clue, and i would say honestly i would be so intimidated from that curriculum vitae rundown that you just did. I would be so intimidated and if I had half a brain I would be but you know how it is with family. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I am intimidated. I, I, I feel that everything I'll say from now on, you know, can only make you know everyone's perception go down from that kind of very high standard <laughs> that right there. To
1: put you on I, a pedestal.
2: Oh my gosh. I, I can only but, fall. <laughs> but no.
1: you but you deserve to be there. You are truly one of the most remarkable men I have ever met. And I'm oh. I've been very proud that my daughter uh, married you and that you married her. And I thought, really, you know, I hit the son in law lottery. Um, oh, that's you come so on nice. Board, it's <laughs> just like you you just pray that your daughter gets a great husband and, you know, somebody that you can admire and respect. And oh my gosh, I admire and respect. Well, her so much. Uh, r- and right away. The, the Driftmeister is well earned, I have to say. I was at the track when you got. Driftmeister twice <laughs> oh twice
0: and i didn't even put that in twice at,
1: at, which is really remarkable um how much control you have of an automobile sliding around on ice and <laughs> dirt and it's just like are you kidding me how do you do that so anyway you're a remarkable guy man
2: well it I'm really proud well of r- it. R- r- right back at you uh, did you hear no, that I'm,
1: I'm i'm claiming i'm claiming some of that, that you, <laughs> That you've accomplished in your life by virtue of being your father in law, that does, it does wash over on me a tad. I feel, I feel really quite, quite well, proud of you for, for that.
2: <laughs> and, and, and vice versa. And again, right, right back at you. Very, very kind uh, introduction. And once again, I can only uh, degrade that, that image you just created of me uh, by opening
0: my mouth. So and well, now I'm, everyone knows about your orange addiction. So it's actually, yeah, this it's is, all I up from this. here. Yeah.
1: I, also, I think everyone can hear just from just from the few moments we've actually let you speak, <laughs> that, <laughs> that you are the most humble person I, I think I've ever met. And to be that humble with that curriculum vitae and that background is just amazing, man. Um, you, you never cease to astonish, uh, anyone who gets to know you as how, how humble you are and how deep you go. So hopefully we can, we can ask some questions here today that would, that would challenge you a little bit and, and would, would, uh, help our audience just understand a little bit more about machine learning and all the work you've done with it and where this thing is going and why some people say it's never going to be anything particularly useful. And they seem to be in the vast minority and everybody else is worried yeah. about them taking over the world and killing us all. So yeah, where are we there? So go ahead, yeah. Danielle. I think you've probably, I, well, I feel
0: noticed. like that's the question. I mean, we could just be quiet and he could talk about that question the whole time. So maybe we start with, um, I mentioned machine learning and I mentioned artificial intelligence. What are those things yeah. and are they different?
1: Yeah, good idea.
2: Yeah, that's that's an excellent starting question actually because AI in fact is nothing more, nothing more than a concept actually. It's just a reference to any type of, when I say machine, let's, let's call it an agent doing kind of human-like or performing human-like uh, type of tasks, But but that's it, that's just a concept. Now, AI can be implemented in two ways one is rule-based and many chatbots you would have you know had experience with are precisely that you know if then else type of type of logic there um which obviously makes for somehow a limited scope of, of of usage and a second way in which ai can be implemented is through machine learning and this is these are a bit more elaborate and sophisticated algorithms that actually learn from from data uh, that are that they are fed uh, and basically can from that uh, learning actually generate insights, being in a form of you know transparency on specific uh, you know, uh, challenges that a business might be facing. Be it in terms of you know concrete predictions, which are a bit more like the the so what you know. Like, yes, I have a nutrition problem now. Uh, help me identify clients that I address. So you know, in a way, AI is rule based plus machine learning.
0: So it sounds like the rule based option. Is much more simple than the machine learning option would that be true
2: yeah and it's been around for a really really long time uh you know rule-based type of uh, let's let's say you want to you're looking to automate a very very simple process you know if you know if you observe uh, a certain uh, a certain uh, thing then you know a certain outcome needs to happen so this has been around now for forever Um, but uh, like in computers well, computers are the vehicle through which these things get, you know, yeah. eventually implemented. Yeah. Um, but, but it's a process. If you think of it as a, you know, a bit of a, a filtering process uh, in which you, you take an input and then based on what you observe on that input, you, you, you have a, a predetermined output that, that, that you need to generate. So
1: chat GPT and now BARD um, are both Examples of machine learning algorithms that yes. are you know trying to generate insights, and um, it looks like Chat GPT's release by Microsoft and OpenAI p- forced Google's hand to mm-hmm. release Bard, um, and now we have it sort of sitting in our laps. They've they've dumped these things out there into the public, and there's all this all these questions about okay, well, how valuable is this going to be? Um, or is it just going to do people's homework and let them cheat? Is, you know, what, yeah. what, what all can we do with this? And, and what we've been using it for is to kind of back up our research here. And, uh, and we go out there and find that the hallucinations are creating, um, such a, uh, a lack of trust in what we're reading that we've, we've sort of stopped using it. It really doesn't, doesn't get us anywhere. It just makes stuff up and it does right. it all the time. So anyway, that's early stage, right? Early stage stuff, um, and and certainly, you know, we all think it's going to get better, and and it it, so it should. It th- th- yeah, what, and, and where, where are they actually using this stuff now that is useful?
2: Yeah, it's it's a very interesting. So early days, first off, you know, it, it will evolve, and, and people will find kind of more and more uh, uses for these type of um, algorithms. And, and it is a bit like a general purpose technology, right? Like, like a a PC is a general purpose technology. You can use it for accounting purposes, to write papers, to, you know, Mm. you know, do web search, you know, whatever it is, It, it can serve multiple purposes. And it's the same thing with AI and this specific type of, of algorithms. Um, I think the, um, the way they're being used first and foremost for now, uh, is maybe threefold. So first is, it's not. It's not accidental that these things were developed by search engines <laughs> mentally, right? So, so in a way, uh, the one thing they started doing is changing the, the, the you know web browsing experience, right? So we 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 search the web for a variety of reasons. For we just want to get informed about something, or we want to do some you know uh, research such that we can. Uh, extract some some insights and then write a paper for instance and what what these algorithms are allowing us to do is to kind of uh, merge all these different steps of a workflow say and and actually you know skip uh skip this, those steps and, and and do the do it themselves and, and just come up with an answer at the end so fun, so fundamentally uh, you we can start thinking or at least I started thinking of them as as a different way to search the web as long as, along with other you know, information sources, because it's not just the web that they're using for for training purposes. They, they do use papers, books, et cetera. So, uh, so it's just a way to distill information for whatever purpose I uh, have uh, in mind. Um, so that's that's one way. Um, I think certainly OpenAI right now is also started to monetize those, that same algorithm that's at GPT beyond you know, whatever, whatever it is it that they do, uh, uh, for free with, with 3.5, uh, on the, on the web search bit. Um, and they do that by basically allowing corporations to come in and actually fine tune the algorithm to their specific purpose, which usually entails. So in your case, for instance, you were saying that you were doing it for, so you were using it for research uh, purposes, but you were not really trusting the, uh, the results. So that is mostly because the, or the body of text in which those algorithms were trained is not specific enough. Uh, uh, And basically the research you're looking for is just like a little niche in, you know, the whole, uh, the whole universe of of text that these algorithms were trained in. So fine tuning is about kind of narrowing down a little bit that, uh, that domain, like that, uh, that, um, you know, the scope of text uh, in which an algorithm is, is, is trained. Uh, and they and they charge for that. So, so basically, I'm a business. I'm, a, I'm I don't know. I'm, a, I'm an investment bank, or I'm a fund. I need to you know fine tune that uh, the research aspect of uh, of the of the algorithm. So I basically feed the algorithm my own corpus of of text and can fine tune and calibrate mm-hmm. uh, whichever weights are, are are being used to that specific purpose. So it, it makes for a more bespoken, customized or uh, you know targeted, if you like type of type of answers, and hmm. they do charge for that. Uh, so that's, that's, it's already being monetized. Um, so
1: when, when they're doing it, in other words, if I wanted them to take our, our books, all 400 podcasts, all the blogs, yeah. everything we've ever done in the last, you know, 10 years, or 15 years, and I would hire them in effect at open AI, to create a scope of work that that is very much oriented toward what we do. Yes, something like that.
2: Yes, yes. Whether they, I know they have an API, so so a way for say an external user to communicate and basically do that fine tuning. I don't know exactly how the you know which parameters are are needed and how it, how how it actually works. But uh, it, it would be possible that the only thing you have is an API, so you would need somebody to help you with that process of fine tuning. Or it could be that OpenAI actually do it themselves. Uh, gotcha. So it goes beyond just having an API. It goes into actually providing a service. Uh, but yeah, it, it is possible to make it a bit more you know, custom. Does that realize. mean then
0: that this version that's out for anybody to use on the internet is, like I've described it as a party trick, is it just kind of something for people to try and? Kind of a demo. Kind of a demo, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's kind of a demo. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, as I said earlier, it, it does change, right? It, it, some people may may you know drop the whole conventional web browsing completely, right, and they just use ChatGPT. Period. Well, ChatGPT
0: uh, doesn't browse the web though.
2: Well, it, it does actually. Well, sorry, not not real time. No, there, yeah. there's a cutoff. Yes, correct. There's a cutoff. Uh, but but you know, we
0: think maybe Bard is. We weren't sure if BART is browsing the web or not. It was a little confusing. But I'm, I'm sure the idea in the future is for people to be able to put in these more um, natural language queries and so, get a good Google search back.
2: So well, it will never be real time, right? Because the training is a uh, you know, uh, it's something that needs to end. So th- these algorithms are fed text. Uh, they are trained, and then they remain trained. So they don't mm. change real time. Uh, mm-hmm. So there will always need to be a cutoff, always, even if it's the day before. But there's always a cutoff. Um, so, so the, the real time aspect, I, I don't think that that, that ever, ever is going to be possible to to achieve. Um, but you know, to the extent that my web search does not necessarily require kind of real time or like super up to date. Um, you know information I can I can still use it as a, a replacement for the yeah. conventional browsing yeah.
0: it could get us SEC info from yeah. last month instead of from 2021 like chat GPT
2: yeah yeah <laughs> yes. so
0: you said there were three types and so first one is the one that's out there the second one is is businesses hiring licensing the API and then was there a third
2: well I, I would bundle the third as <laughs> everyone. Using it for a specific purpose that use web browsing as 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 as, as an input, but not you know uh, the end in itself. Um, so you know a student writing a paper, or you know uh, I don't know uh, I'm writing a newsletter, and I, so I can I can actually do all that through ChatGPT
0: uh, and have it do it for you, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, and and that's what I meant by kind of automating workflows right so it sounds very conceptual but it's basically if i go online because i want to research a company and i want to create a view on you know is it a good or bad company so that i can write a paper let's say three steps uh i can actually do that through chat gpt i mean it doesn't mean it's super accurate right necessarily but i can uh you know uh, task chat gpt for doing all those yeah, three things it, it on, could be for completely
0: me. wrong it could be completely made up it, it, but well, it would produce several paragraphs
2: yes something yeah <laughs> now whether you're comfortable enough to you know let out in the world without any human oversight that's that's a different topic but uh but yeah you could yeah
1: well to what to what extent do you think um this i mean google said publicly that they were hitting the red panic button uh when chat gpt came out there was all hands on deck um they have Gotten way ahead of us, and we've heard from from higher ups in Google just very privately that they feel like they're actually really in trouble to a certain degree, um, but their public face is, "Hey, we've got this, and we got the best engineers, and anyone who's going to figure it out will be the ones that figure it out." And we've, you know, I mean, I just, I just wonder if this is really replacing web browsing ultimately when they get when they stop the hallucinations, and it replaces web browsing. What happens to the best business in the world? Arguably the best business in the world. Does does it collapse? There's no more ad revenue. It's just gone.
2: Yeah. And that's that's a really important point right there, because right now it's it's an ad based like, you know, business, right? So mm-hmm. if I want to have my search, sorry, my name, my company's name as on top of that search list, I, I need to pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and by the way, Bard does have that difference vis-à-vis ChatGPT in that it does seem to identify sources and and kind of uh, make them right. visible to. to the, and I think the purpose of the visibility or transparency on which sources were used is exactly still enabling that ad-based business, right? Because you know, mm-hmm. the moment you actually have names of companies, then yeah, you can you can charge for that. Whereas you know, as far as I haven't really seen ChatGPT four, but you no, know, certainly a three point five you know, as far as kind of pure browsing, uh, you know, as a tool for browsing, it doesn't really, you know, say much in ways of you know, sources. Um, so so I think there's there might be a slightly different angle, if like that, you know, Google uh, will need to have on their, you know, uh, uh, GPT type of uh, uh, functionality there versus versus Microsoft, uh, yeah. Interesting, yeah.
0: But why is this okay. a big deal? Why are we talking about this? Like, why does anybody care? I it's agree. okay. It's a revolution in search, maybe. It yeah. lets people, students, have a computer write a paper. That's, that could be a big deal. But why are countries worried about it? Why are people talking like we're about to get taken over by the AI machine? Yeah, I well,
1: literally just read a, an article yesterday uh, where reasonable people are very concerned that this thing, if allowed to just go on, will ultimately find a way to become a pandemic or worse than a pandemic impact on humanity, which I'm not sure I followed the logic there, but yeah. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. I I think there's, I think there's an emotional response to it and there's a rational response. (laughs) So I think the emotional response, is really about, um, up until now, there's a lot of AI that has been deployed or some AI, let's say, that has been deployed in, in the corporate world and people have, you know, at least indirectly been exposed to. But the key word there is indirectly. You so know, there's always a human or usually there's a human that basically is between what a machine is, you know, telling your organization to do and what is actually ultimately uh, proposed or done, done with the client. So, so they've been shielded, if you like, from, from, from the AI bit. In this one instance, there's no shield. You know, you are talking to a machine. Uh, uh, so I think there's um, that shock of uh, and, and a machine that sounds a lot like a human, and mm-hmm. that's a little bit the trigger for the emotional reaction, right? Because we, uh, I mean, risk. You know, our brains have a, like an interesting way of interpreting risk. But you know, the and, and and the key driver of you know high versus low is how quickly. We can actually bring something from memory onto, you know, present consciousness. And of course, we all remember movies very easily from like, you know, apocalyptic movies of machines taking sure. over. So, so the, I, I think there's an, an overly, uh, uh emphasized version sort of like a perception of risk associated with machines acting like humans. Yeah. Uh, and that's a little bit the, the irrational bit, if you like. Now there are, you know, Rational, concrete, you know, and valid rational reasons why we need to be careful with with these things. You know, because if you um, know, you know, you you uh, some some people would argue for instance, you can use ChatGPT to create malware, like to just create virus, for instance. So there's mm-hmm. there's the ethical use of you know a pretty powerful technology uh, that that should definitely be uh, be considered. There's obviously misinformation and biases that can be you know, depending on the training data. Can be carried over onto kind of a very large uh, chunk of, of of the population. Uh, so there are, there are concrete kind of rational risks that we need to be you know aware and obviously you know, eventually prevent and and, and monitor or uh, monitor and prevent. But uh, but yeah, so there's a few handful of rational reasons, and then I think there's a very large like irrational one driving that uh, that that fear.
0: You mentioned training data, and I know from talking to you that that is extremely dispositive as to how something how a machine learning algorithm works and whether it works can you just talk more about that for people who don't really know what this training data is
2: including so, me <laughs> <laughs> so 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 training data I, i'll try not to get overly technical about this but you know Basically, t- training data are just like the, the set of observations we pass on to uh, an algorithm that learns, uh, and identifies certain patterns. So let, let me give you a concrete example, which is not kind of chat GPT related, right? But let's say that I'm creating an algorithm that will predict whether a client will leave, uh, a bank or you know, any, any organization as a client in a certain, you know, uh, period of time. So the training data that I feed into these uh, model would be, you know, certain observations around the client behavior. And most importantly, how does client that, you know, current or observed client behavior change vis-a-vis a certain baseline, right? So I'm just looking at certain patterns on how, what is the client doing differently? And then what the algorithm does is but this is like those... sorry.
0: This is like statistical data from the past that you're talking about, or data yes. from one particular cl- given client.
2: Well, it's individual at um, client yeah. level. In this yeah, case, yeah. It would be individual clients have their own behaviors. So we're looking at that. Um, but it's past. It's it's always past uh, behavior uh, we're looking at. But then, what the algorithms are incredibly capable of, uh, you know, are competent in doing is identifying those behavioral patterns that can actually be associated with an outcome in this case the client leaving the bank or not right so you you need to discriminate between both um and and he can do it with you know incredibly high degrees of accuracy uh and 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 considering a multitude like a very high Uh, uh, set of uh, behaviors in terms of number and which is something that our brains cannot really cannot get our hands around so that's why
0: and it does that from the data that you gave i
2: feed yeah Yeah.
0: okay yeah because that's the part that you keep saying to me when i've been talking to you about this stuff is like that you know you or person x who's making this um what do you call it a model a so so, so let, let
2: me just clear, because, and, and this is what sometimes, I guess, might go unnoticed, but there are, when we talk about machine learning algorithms, actually, it's a reference to the, 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 the algorithm that learns from the data. Now, the algorithm that lear, learns, from, learns from the data pardon, is learning to create a predictive model, which is another algorithm, actually, that is the end product of that. Uh, And that's why, I mean, when we talk about cutoffs is because like earlier, we talked about cutoffs, you know, having to have, you know, uh, uh, in terms of training data, a cutoff. Um, And that's because once the algorithm is trained and there's an algorithm to do the training, then you have a second algorithm, which is actually the predictive model, which is stable, it's static. Mm -hmm. It's always, it it doesn't really change necessarily. I mean, there, there are, one instance where it does in, in the you know, uh, modality of, you know, say machine learning is called reinforcement learning. But let's let's park that; doesn't really matter. But for the most part, they're they're static, you know, algorithms. So the you know, presented with the same input, the al- you know, the prediction will always be the same, never ever change. Um, but so so it's a training algorithm that we're talking about usually, you know, and that's the one where you feed training data. You also you know if we are to get just slightly more uh, detailed, you actually divide the data between a training set and a test set. So, so what you do with the training is basically have the algorithm identify those patterns and associate certain patterns observed in the data with an outcome. And then uh, you do something called cross-validation. Again, let's not get overly technical, but you then uh, you know use that algorithm that predictive model which you just created. And run it on the test data, and basically look at what the predictions were uh, would be uh, when presented with the test data. Now, the interesting thing with this process is that this is these are behaviors in this case where that the algorithm has never seen before. So it's actually testing the ability of the algorithm to generalize on you know completely fresh and ever seen you know, set of data, um, and 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 that's how we actually assess the accuracy uh, of the final predictive model. So we always know how accurate you know, in prediction um, uh, problems, but we always know how accurate an algorithm is uh, before we deploy it out
0: into into the world. So when people are looking at something that they have access to, like a ChatGPT or a BARD, I think the important piece of info is that what matters is the data that's been fed into it. Is that right?
2: Yes. I think there's two. things. So absolutely right. So one thing is, basically, these these you know generative uh, uh, algorithms. They're trained with the web plus documents. Right. Let's oversimplify things a little bit. Um, and and what they do actually, they when I say the only thing, there are literally trillions of mathematical operations to come up with one word. But the only thing they only thing they do is to predict what's the next word that mm-hmm. I should put into the sentence. Considering that the previous one was that one, and maybe there's an even longer memory. You know, the previous, the last two or last three words in that sentence were were uh, were what they were.
0: These are the generative language. Yes, the models, generative just language. Just to be clear, not not all machine learning. Does no, this. no, no,
2: no, yeah. no, at all. So, uh, so in that sense, the next word that uh, I, as an algorithm, I'm predicting, uh, is very much a function of how many. Times actually, have I observed that word being preceded by the word that 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 I just predicted, you know, before, um, and that is a function of the text or the training data that I have been, you know, exposed to as an as an algorithm. So so it massively, you know, influences the the result. Also because it's very domain specific, right? So you know, a certain word. I don't take like water. Uh, might might happen to follow uh the word open right uh with, with different ways depending on the context Like right? if we're talking about diving then open water yeah water after open will will show up like many many times if we're talking about i don't know an engineering context or domain not probably hardly ever you know the word water after uh, uh would show up after open so So, and that's, and this brings us to like the first step that I, or the second thing that I think is super important, which is really to understand the prompt, understand the question or the task that are being asked. So interpret that question such that I can actually understand. It's not the only thing to understand, but oversimplifying, let's say decide which domain uh, should I actually be um, uh, uh, looking at in a more privileged fashion in order to see which word should come after. Mm. you know the one i predicted so i'm is being the, a bit
0: yeah is the fear then maybe coming from the, it's not happening yet but eventually that this algorithm this model would have its training data would be everything online like everything everything connected satellites military stuff you know this is this where maybe people are starting to get these thoughts of these computers might like take over the government and we don't even maybe it's happened already and we don't even know it you know um like i guess what i'm getting at is you're saying it's not that big of a deal but smart people are saying it's a big deal and i'm just trying to understand why so could it be that the data eventually would just be everything well
2: so f- first off access to data is not is not completely open uh to all sources so it, there's always there's, there will always be restrictions right in terms of what these algorithms can actually have access to uh so government data or you know on defense it's hardly unlikely that these algorithms will ever uh be uh be presented with that that type of text you know uh, data um so i think there's restrictions apply right when it comes to what what they're actually fed um so i don't i don't necessarily see that as a source of of fear in that no nowadays algorithms are presented with every single text you know or corpus that, that was ever written in the world uh, that is digitized, obviously, and uh, and and as such, you know, are the masters of the universe. I don't. I don't think that will ever uh, happen. Out of the fact that there will always be, there will always be sensitive data that is not out there uh, and can be used for training purposes.
1: What about the fear people have that they're going to lose their jobs to this? Yes. Thing? Yes. Uh, Job displacement, yeah. white collar workers. I'm thinking places where, if if they if they restricted the amount of misinformation that's coming through it right by having a more focused data set as you said then i would think paralegals to some degree any any lawyer may be you know a, a law firm with a hundred people and it might might be able to do the same job with 20 or uh, you know other kinds of white-collar work w- which is sifting paper and um, a necessary job somebody's got to do it but all of a sudden that could that be eliminated? I I mean, how, how dangerous is that? And I mean, in your work where you guys consult to some of the biggest companies in the world, where, what do you see them doing with this stuff that could cause a loss of jobs?
2: Yeah. So, so I think that, so the, the general thinking today is that these algorithms are there to augment, to help the person rather than replace the person. Um, I mean usually a job or a function a role right it's 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 a combination of many many different you know tasks not just just one thing somebody doesn't just perform one one task and I think you know uh, these algorithms seem to be granular enough that they they might cover you know a third or and' it's already too much by the way but like a little fraction of what you do as a professional and and in that sense they're they're actually Perceived and seen more as you know uh, another team member that's kind of helping you out with you know certain p- part of your tasks rather than a, a full-on replacement, mm-hmm. um, and, unless of course your role is like so so granular, right? That you know in that that one particular uh, task that you perform might might actually be taken over by by an algorithm, but more often than not, uh, jobs and, and roles have a multitude of tasks, and only a, a subset of those might actually be. Uh, you know replaced and, and, as a, and as such, these things are more of a help. Also because by the way, the, it's often the again uh, uh, perception wise in the corporate world is that those tasks that can feasibly be taken over by an algorithm, uh, they also tend to be slightly less value added. I don't agree with that necessarily, but but it's certainly true that many of these algorithms can actually just help automate or, or facilitate simple enough tasks. Uh, I'm, I'm actually doing a bit of a, you know, not doing enough justice with the algorithm that they, they can actually you know, do, you know, spot things that humans cannot, but you know, to the extent that they are used for efficiency purposes, business purposes, then yes, some of those tests are just, less so you, don't, you,
1: don't, you don't think you would see, a a real consolidation in these in white collar work in the near future, you wouldn't, I, you wouldn't be looking I wouldn't. for that? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. just thinking of what what I saw back in the late 1970s, as as uh, companies were able to computerize a lot of their accounting mm-hmm. things. They essentially they reduced the number of bookkeepers by an order of magnitude, and uh, those jobs there were still bookkeepers, but they're yeah. one tenth the number of bookkeepers, right? And and just. And I'm also thinking other times when there's been a huge technological shifts, I'm thinking of farming, for example, yeah. which used to, in America in the 1800s, some 85, 90% of the population was engaged in farming. Today, it's like, I think it's under 2%. Yeah. Um, so you've seen this all generated by higher and higher degrees of technology, which start off augmenting somebody's job, yeah. but gradually. Yeah. That augmentation it starts to be realized by a big company is like, oh, well, it augmented it by fifteen percent. That's fifteen percent less headcount we need,
2: yeah, to get the yeah. job
1: done. So, I, I, I would, I would think if this stuff is really actually useful, you're going to see it hit, hit white collar.
2: It, it, it is possible. I would say, I, I, yeah, maybe. like stepping back for a second. I think, I think it will depend a little bit on the industry we're talking about, you know, is it a service industry versus you know, uh, not? <laughs> uh, and, 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 and whether we're talking about kind of front or client facing people versus uh, middle office or, or back office types.
1: let's just say for fun, software development.
2: Yeah, yeah, since
1: that seems to be one area where I've watched a YouTube video, of course, who knows, right? But I watched a YouTube video where I think I saw a guy use uh, chat GPT to write code. Um, and in a very, very short of time, just, you know, um, it, it essentially reduced the amount of time he had to spend figuring out how to make this formula work in a back yeah. test. Um, it was, it was amazing how quickly it could happen. Yeah. Just saying, give me the code for X and boom on the screen, it goes, you know,
2: yeah, but I mean, even so, let's take that as an example, right? So I, I think, I think the, um, so what you observed, of course, is is an example of an augmentation rather than a replacement, right? Because the guy was coding and had a problem with a subset of that code, and then yeah, so yeah. that was an an example of of uh, augmentation. Now let's say that the algorithm evolves to a point where you can write all code, every, every single line of code is actually produced by by an algorithm. Even then, that guy's job would not have been completely gone, right? Because be, before we start writing code, and again, I'm not a software person at all, so I, I, I have general knowledge of what software development entails, but I do know it does entail kind of a translation of certain, like defining certain business requirements, translating that onto, you know, here's what the software mm-hmm. piece needs to do, and those two steps, and then code, right? So mm-hmm. those two steps, that person will still need to do them, you know, before you uh, actually yeah, instruct, true. you know? so, so in a way, it's kind of again in this particular example, it's transferring um, the uh, you know the person's attention, the human's attention to a, a different set of activities that are still part of the role, and you know are in that case a, a bit more I would say value adding, right? Because that you know the first two steps are all about setting direction. The third step, like the code production, is just literally churn out code and and, and get the software done. Um, so it, I, I think it would still be a bit of an augmentation exercise. But but you're right in that, I mean, it's certainly true. I mean, we don't need to go as far back as industrial revolution. You know, certainly you know, the PC as a general purpose technology has done you know, a bit of that also. But job displacement will always be a bit of a topic. Um because you know, you know, it's certainly true that you know, even in that example, if you have three or four coders and now Actually, they only have from a full FT, right? So full-time equivalent. They're actually only, you know, using I don't know, 50%, right? You you end up uh, only needing two actually, because the other uh, the other guy can be can be taken off because the other two would make for a full a full-time uh, equivalent person. So yeah, you could still save up some some uh, some capacity. Uh, in that that particular example
1: so what what other things cause fear i mean or do you see that at all when where you're working with the machine learning or is it more like the people you're working with are like give me this now i want this this is great stuff
2: <laughs> well so it's very interesting actually because i don't think that I don't think, I'm certain that most of the people I work with, they don't care about machine learning or artificial intelligence per se. What they do care is about solving a problem, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and, and machine learning is really just a tool in helping solve that problem. And it operates in two ways, fundamentally. One is it can create transparency on a specific problem that it wouldn't be possible otherwise. You know, let's say I'm, I'm developing a new offer uh, for for a bank uh, so rather than just you know kind of guesstimating what 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 the features of that offer should be I actually use uh, uh, machine learning to understand or uh, you know how clients behave and how they consume uh, uh, that in our solutions and then Use that information of the, uh, to identify needs, and then I take up those needs, and that's what I design for. Basically, I, I design a proposition to address those those specific needs. So, in this case, or in this instance, machine learning was used just to create transparency um, that then informed the, the design of, of that offer. And another way in which you can create and transpar- also
0: slightly more reliable predictions, right?
2: Well, in this case, there's no prediction. There's just hey, you might not be aware of different client types you have hmm. based on how they actually can, cons- you know, use you as as, as a service provider. So let, let us create transparency on that. And then, uh, and by doing so, you can identify those client types that are either strategically or materially more relevant uh, going forward and and use those and their underlying needs as the basis for, okay, now I'm going to, Put together or tailor, if you like, a proposition. So to then the business
0: decision then is yes. based on, on, and the business that, strategy is then based
2: on, on that, that transparency. Exactly. Okay. So in that instance, you know, machine learning was just used for transparency. It, it didn't, it didn't tell me what the solution should be, i.e., what the design should be. It just told me, hey, you know, just factor in the uh, the needs of these two type, two or three, you know, what it doesn't really matter, uh, client client types. Um, The second way in which uh, machine learning can be used in a business, or I've been using machine learning in a business context is, and here, yes, there are predictions basically as a way to uh, point me to, when I say me, not necessarily me, but my clients uh, in uh, in terms of what's the right course of action. Now, let's say, for instance, I mean, we, we mentioned, you know, clients at risk. So basically clients that are dissatisfied with a bank and through their behaviors are, which are visible in the data, right, are kind of telling us that things are not so good. And and those behaviors might actually say the the relationship manager, the person managing that client might not actually be aware of that. So in this instance, we're actually using algorithms to make predictions on here's a client that has an 83 percent chance of leaving the bank in three months time. So you Mm -hmm. should definitely go and talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and in some instances, we can even use the algorithm to also pinpoint what the most likely reasons for that uh, you know, uh, level of risk are. Um, and basically, then, it's up to the person to take up that information and then actually call the client and do something about uh, retaining the client, if that's the will of the organization. So like mm-hmm. every single client at risk should be retained at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if worthwhile retaining, then yeah, that's, that's how it's done. And in this case, uh, these algorithms were, were, were basically making predictions. I mean, other types of predictions could be on pricing. I mean, I can, uh, I can, I have acting the past created algorithms that predict the client's willingness to pay for a specific product or service. Uh, you know, uh, algorithms can be used to, um, uh, uh, you know, cross-sell or upsell products, basically identifying clients that are more likely to, you know, buy into uh, a different product or service that they may not have uh done uh, yet so so these are all kind of prediction problems uh that we also can use you know algorithms for what i would say is that the target group and the type of algorithms are these two types are a little bit different so so the first type we talked basic algorithms that are there to create transparency on a specific you know pain point or problem says that it can be addressed in a more effective way though the stakeholder group for those types are Usually, kind of C-suite uh, manager uh, people, right? So people that are making structural decisions, uh, longer-term decisions uh, uh, that that affect an organization structurally. Um, and those algorithms also have, you know, a particularity in that they are one-offs. Right? We use it uh, in the context of the project we're doing. Once it's done, when it served its purpose, it's gone. It disappears because the decision has been made. Now there's a new proposition, or there's a, a new you know, a portfolio of markets we go after, or there's a new segmentation scheme in place that the algorithms help uh, us uh, put together. But once that is done, it's done. The algorithm is gone, it disappears, it you know um, goes up into the, uh, into the ether. Now the second type are algorithms that are used for recurring purposes, right? Because there will always be clients that grow, uh, Dissatisfaction, right, or growing their their dissatisfaction. So there will always be new clients at risk. So uh, basically, these are algorithms algorithms that I actually need to use, uh, you know, recurrently. Um, and again, the stakeholder group on these are a little bit different. So these are people that are making everyday decisions about clients, about you know, uh, products, about you know, pricing, you know, you you name it. Um, so those are like two different uh, types of, of algorithms and and also uh, stakeholder groups. Mm.
0: Well. This has been incredible, and we're running a bit long, so I think maybe we should come back if we can get you next week and talk about how this actually applies to investing practice and investing research. But what I've taken is that, I mean, everything you just said about how an individual company might use machine learning is that they it's giving them better information, perhaps predictions that they wouldn't have otherwise had or that they were guesstimating and that then and they do that by feeding in what you said the training data or whoever's creating the model is feeding in that training data choosing what to tell it and then after it's all done then it's again humans making business decisions yes from that information which to me is just great like it's not scary or crazy or filled with money-hungry, power-hungry, bloodthirsty, warmongering computers. So I don't know. I, I, I'm just missing whatever this terrifying part of it is, which maybe is correct, question mark?
2: I, I, I completely agree. I, I don't share the at-risk kind of perception at all. Um, and I, I, I do find these things to be incredibly useful uh in that we all have biases and heuristics and and blind spots we we, mm. we do uh, and 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 for me personally a big role of particularly the tactical you know uh, uh, algorithms we, we talked about is really about uh helping us fill in those 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 blind blind spots we, uh, and again just coming back to the example of attrition is is a really good one because
0: attrition meaning clients potentially leaving a business
2: leaving yeah client client churn. uh, because usually in again in my particular area or my clients which are wealth managers for the most part clients will not speak up until it's too late Uh, Mm -hmm. so they will not raise their hand and say hey i'm not happy with something you have done or you have not done um they really don't do that by the time they raise their hand all the goodwill is gone and the client mm-hmm. will leave for sure. There's no, there's no retention measure that will you know, hold the client, uh, in, in place. But what clients do is they, they do try to resolve the situation. So their behaviors change to the extent that they're trying to I change see. something in that relationship. Yeah. Um, and, and those are the exact same set of behaviors that these algorithms can then use to discriminate between clients that, are at risk versus ones that are not at risk. So clients do communicate a lot, a lot with their, you know, providers of any something, you know, product service doesn't really matter, but just in a non, non-verbal, non, you know, in a tacit, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, way. And, um, and And these algorithms are really very powerful in capturing that communication and basically making it usable, for the human to actually do something with it, uh, mm-hmm. and in the process, of course, kind of offsetting those those you know the the the, the blind spots. We it's all like we all
0: quantified have. behavioral economics.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, with uh, through data. Yeah.
0: Well, what I want to know is how can I, as an investor on my couch, use this stuff for my own benefit? Two, how can I find out or discover? companies that are entering this new world in a good way in a good way that means nothing in a way that's benefiting (laughs) the business um to build new business to build their company to streamline to whatever um those are the two things I'm interested in dad
1: yep I think that is um that's going to sum it up for me too I think really I'd love to dive into that more Nunes if you can give us a little bit more time that'd be fabulous
2: absolutely more than happy to
1: all right man that would okay. be great all right everybody thanks a lot and look forward to seeing you again Nuno. <laughs> thanks, thank you know
0: thanks everybody and thank you Nuno for joining us <laughs> welcome,
2: most welcome <laughs> bye-bye. Bye, bye-bye